And we are back with The Chosen Journey. We are on chapter number 73 with Big Money Grip Steve Carsey and Jonathan, the chosen lawyer. Steve, as I'm putting the agenda for today, I got so much mixed emotions uh, going through me. I said, let's just dive in because I had a topic that we're going to talk about, but we got some late breaking news that we got to cover. You cool with that? Yeah, jump right in. Let's get to it and uh, let's see what you got. So I was going to talk today about the tragedy or seemingly tragedy of Shohei Otani and what's happening, which we will get to. But then life takes a funny curve that way and it puts it all in per- into perspective. So I'm at dinner last night with uh, my son, Jeremiah, and a friend, and I get a message and it, all it says is Bray Wyatt, sad face. So now, you know, I'm a big wrestling aficionado, very big into wrestling as I am with baseball. And Bray Wyatt is a very talented wrestler, former heavyweight champion, and everybody's waiting for yet his new return. So he had gone away, made his return, did not go so well. Now we were waiting for the new return. So I figured, okay, Bray Wyatt is probably retiring. He's not going to continue with this. I mean, he's a young guy, 36 years old. So that's where I figured he's going with it. I start getting message after message after message. I'm like, "Uh oh, and I look. Bray Wyatt has passed away at the age of 36. Now, Bray Wyatt, you know, we've talked about generational baseball players, right? That's a topic we cover many times. Third generation wrestler. His grandfather, and I know you followed wrestling back in the 80s. I did. His grandfather, I don't know if you remember the name, Black Jack Mulligan. Yeah, I remember the name. He was a dirty wrestler, you know, from the Texas, you know, and he had that mustache and everything. And uh, Mr. Bray Wyatt, uh, whose actual name is Wyndham Rotundo. So Wyndham's father was a guy by the name of Mike Rotundo, or known as IRS, Erwin R. Scheister. <laughs> what a, you know, you got to love those wrestling gimmicks, right? Absolutely. They come up with, uh, you know, some, some far-fetched stuff, but uh, it's just great entertainment. So you had Erwin R. Scheister, who was a tag team with the Million Dollar Man, and they were money incorporated. And of course, they come to take your money, whatever Million Dollar Man earns, you know, the uh, IRS comes to collect. So that was, you know, a great gimmick onto itself. So now, Wyndham Rotundo comes into wrestling. He's a third generation wrestler. And there's a lot of pressure on you, as you can imagine, you know, just ask Kevin Biggio what it's like, you know, ask Vladimir Guerrero Jr., ask Bo Bichette, you know, the Blue Jays seemingly have all the second-generation uh, baseball players over there. If you're a, gen- a second-generation athlete, third-generation athlete, you got some shoes to fill, especially when your grandfather and father were at the top, top of the game. The interesting thing about Mr. Wyndham Rotunda was he came up as Husky Harris. From Husky Harris, he became Bray Wyatt. He, ma- he formed a faction called the Wyatt Family. You can imagine what that kind of faction was like, right? And then he puts on a mask and he is now known as The Fiend. And I was in Toronto at SummerSlam when The Fiend first debuted in WWE in World Wrestling Entertainment. And it was like nothing I'd ever seen before, Steve, with the music that played and the eeriness of it. It was almost like a horror movie. And he came in and the fans were just absolutely captivated with him. And he ended up winning the heavyweight belt, ended up dropping it, going through his things. And then he left came back, had a big, big buildup. So now he had a new theme song. He had a lantern. He's coming to the ring in his lantern. (laughs) And he he starts telling you stories and stories and stories. And fans on the chat board are like, okay, let's get along with this. Get along with this. 
Finally, he goes and has a wrestling match. It was called the Mountain Dew Dark Match, which actually was about Mountain Dew and a dark drink. So it really was just a sponsored match. So it was more about the Mountain Dew than it was about the match. Probably one of the worst wrestling matches we have seen in a long, long time. Bray left, was teasing that he was going to come back and fight another athlete in WrestleMania. Bobby Lashley did not come back. And all we kept hearing was he, he has some life-threatening uh, illnesses. He's dealing with it. His father came on the media last week, in fact, said, you know what? He's better than ever. We're going to see him back. Don't worry, fans. And then we have that heavy message that he has passed away. You know, taken far before his time. Had so much more to give to the sport. Um, I had so many emotions going through me, Steve, because, you know, like any other athlete, your last time on the field, your last time in the arena, and you're not at the top of your game, and that's the last time you ever played or you participated, I don't think it's probably the best feeling on the planet. I know he had a kind of a chip, and he wanted to show people what he was really about. And that, unfortunately, would be part of the legacy. But then when that kind of subsides, people always remember the magician, the artist, you know, and will remember the goodness of him. He'll go to the Hall of Fame almost surely. As an athlete, a professional athlete, when you hear this, you've seen this before with other athletes that you've played with, that you're against, what emotions go through your mind? Because again, this is the chosen journey and this is all about the journey, right? It is. Um, you know, it's it's a sad case, obviously. Uh, you know, everybody in the wrestling world and, you know, people who follow that portion uh, or that sport, uh, you know, have heavy hearts today. There's, there's no doubt about it. Uh, because he's an entertainer, right? And it took me a long time, uh, you know, as you said, with <clears throat> understanding that you're not at the top of your game, that it's not the way you want to go out. And sometimes you can't control those things, right? Uh, you know, it, it was told to me later in life, and I got to reflect back on it is, uh, and somebody said this to me. So it, it's like, you know, baseball is what you do. Baseball is not who you are. You know, so in uh, for him, you know, wrestling is what he did. Wrestling that was not who he was. There's so many out, more things outside of the ring or outside of uh, the entertainment portion of what you do as a professional athlete. You have your family, you have, you know, other things that are going on in life, whether it be charities or things that you're 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 putting your energy to. So uh as much as you don't go out on top um the way you would might want things pop up and things happen that you just can't control and then, and this is something that you know um and i don't know much about the situation but uh, maybe it's something that he couldn't control it just kind of happened and uh you know that last match wasn't the greatest but there's bigger things than you know just worrying about uh what what you do uh, as a profession is about who you are as a person. When, when I was formulating today's agenda, you know, I'm thinking in, in baseball terms and I was like, you know, and I, I like to use the word, I don't want to use it, but that's the one that comes to my mind is tragedy. And I'm like the tragedy of Steven Strasburg and what could have been Shohei Otani, where he's at, what should have been and how could this happen? This is so unfair. And then when I hear about Bray White, I'm like, you know what? Let's put this thing to perspective a little bit, folks. You know, um, there was a story of Owen Hart, the wrestler, that he had a gimmick, the Blue Blazer, and he came from a wrestling family. Bret Hart was his brother, you know, one of the greatest of all times. He had that 
footsteps to follow in is dad Stu Hart was the uh, known as the wrestling trainer in Calgary, Alberta, brought up Chris Jericho. You know, a lot of the famous guys all started off with Chris Benoit, all started from the dungeon, the Stu Hart dungeon. So you got Owen Hart. Owen Hart wants to make a name for himself. He wants to really stick out. So as the Blue Blazer at a pay-per-view event, they're going to bring him down from the top of the arena and down to the ring. And that was kind of like the flying gimmick. Except something went wrong that day, Steve, and they did not have the cables as they should have, and he just dropped right down and passed away. And at the and this was like one of the opening matches, if not the opening match, from what I recall, it was one. It was early, early, early on in the card, and fans thought it was like you know, it was it was a play. They thought that this was part of the act. You know, they all assumed that, and of course, they got him out as quick as possible. In that case, the show went on. All the Wrestlers in the back saw what had happened, knew that he was gone, still went and wrestled. In today's day and age, this would never, ever happen. You know, you think about what happened with the Buffalo Bills, you know, and when their player collapsed. You think of any of these kind of situations, we're way more sensitive to this stuff. But it also puts life into perspective. And that's one of the things I want to tell the fans today. Those of you that are thinking of Strasbourg, thinking of Otani, just remember there is a bigger picture to these things. They are still alive. So it is still a sport. While it is unfair that they may not be able to continue or continue at, the, at where they want it to be, there is a bigger picture to these things. Yeah, and I mean, as an athlete, um, you know, as a professional athlete, uh, apart from, you know, being part of dying, you know, everybody's career comes to an end in some sort of fashion. And it's just how guys at the end of their careers, whether it be an injury, whether it be they get too old and can't perform, whether they have to walk away from the ring again because they just can't, you know, their bodies are giving out and, and it's just a, a tough profession. Like everybody has to come to grips with that at some point and uh, understand that this is part of the process of going through athletes window to earn money, athletes window to perform athletes window to be really good is a, if you're a really good athlete is a 10 to 15 year window. And that's for the best of the best who can hang around for a very long time. Other than that, some are years, some are days, some are weeks, right? Um, you know, everybody wants to have that longevity in a sport to play uh, as long as they can and have the earning potential. But you have to understand as a fan, as a player, as a competitor, it's going to come to an end. It's not like a CEO job where you can sit behind a desk for 50 years and run a business to the best of your abilities. It's, you know, as athletes, we decline. Our bodies decline, our performance declines, and the game doesn't wait for you. It just kind of keeps continuing to press on, move on, and, you know, younger uh, talented players come into the league and uh, they kind of just take over, um, you know, at that point in time. And the greatness of the players who leave, who have the longevity, are remembered for what they have done. But it comes down to the athlete gripping, having coming to grips with one day this is going to be the last day I put on the uniform or the last day I put on my shorts in a ring or whatever it might be. And it's going to end. Um, and you know, like I said, some some guys have uh, more comprehension of that, uh, and some guys don't. Um, 
you know, and when they walk away from the game, it's, it's really hard for them um, to, to move on in life and do something. So, uh, you know, to put it in a nutshell, uh, you're right. Perspective is uh, a, a big thing, um, whether it be performance in a sport or whatnot. You know, when we can wake up every day and get on with our lives, love our families, love our children, uh, be part of something bigger than just sports, even though sports is a big part of many of our lives uh, and it teaches us a lot of things. Uh, there's more to life uh, than, you know, just sports. And that's where I was thinking there's layers to this thing. You know, it's remembering that big picture that we are alive and how fortunate we are. But then, you know, I think about how many different arenas you got. You got sports, you got uh, Hollywood, you got actors, right? You got musicians. And when you're in this kind of like world, right? I mean, Steve, I try to put myself in your shoes so many times. I'm thinking, you know, you put on those cleats, you put on your hat, you're sitting in the bullpen, you're in Yankee Stadium, 50,000, 40,000 are like rocking their heads off. You get the call at the top of the ninth, you got to save a game and you do that run out and the crowd is cheering for you and you feel that adrenaline and you do the final pitch and the catcher comes and shakes your hand and you walk down to the dugout, you speak to the reporters, you go walk down to the clubhouse, you're hanging out with the guys and this is your life day to day, week to week, year to year, right? And every year you start preparing around February and you know that you're going to be going through this shuffle again. And then one day, right? Whether you choose it or the game decides it for you, it's gone. No different than a musician that does world tours all the time. And then one day their voice just goes or they're not selling albums anymore. And the record company calls and said, you know what, we're, we're, we're halting this. And now you go from playing a 50,000 arena to play in a casino with 150 people, you know, and you know, you don't get any more Hollywood scripts. You're an actor and you're used to going and you're just going from movie to movie to movie. I think there's a not, not enough things where people say, oh, wow, like why are they loose cannons? Why are they spouting off at the media? Why did they overdose? Why did they do this? I think people don't understand the psyche of it. Like you were saying, not everybody can handle this. And I think not enough emphasis is, is that transitional. And that's what I was thinking of Strasbourg, you know, as far as he was the Mecca, like he was considered the can't miss guy. You know, we've heard this how many years, right? For as long as baseball is going to be around, there's always going to be that can't miss pitcher. And he showed such glimpses of greatness and it just didn't work out. It just didn't work out health-wise for him. And now he's going to do that transition. If you're going to sit down across from Steven Strasburg right now and give him one piece of advice in the next stage, what would you tell him? My advice would be you have a lot of life left. Enjoy what you have. Enjoy your family. Find something that you're passionate about and that you love to do like you did with baseball. And if you can find that, go out and achieve that passion to the highest level uh, that you possibly can and keep yourself busy and keep yourself occupied and, and understand that this is just part of the process and part of how sports works because at some point it's going to end and unfortunately it ended probably a little bit earlier than he wanted he wanted to fulfill the rest of that contract obviously when he signed it and I believe we all do because we're all competitors but uh, sometimes you know the road takes you in a different direction and uh, you just kind of have to make that adjustment and and figure it out from there and there's so many transitions. I mean, just in the game itself, right? Whether you want to coach, broadcast, front office, scout, whatever it is, there's so many little avenues there. I've seen so many players transition from baseball, whether it's become a real estate agent, go back to school, become an accountant, open up a set of car washes, 
travel the world, become an artist, whatever it is. The ones that I feel, Steve, are the happiest when I watch them as far as in the interviews are the ones that are doing something and they're feeling fulfilled with their lives. They're, they're, they got a project, they got a life goal versus the ones that just don't have that. You know, they never thought ahead to that. They never, I, and I've seen those interviews and it, you can see in their eyes, all they knew was they're going to play and they never thought about life afterwards. And I don't know how soon you started thinking about that, but you know, the, the game can go away in a moment's notice. Right. So I think it's even when you're a rookie, always think, you know, 10 steps ahead where you're going to go because it, it may, you may not have a 20 year career. You may not have a one year career. Well, look at the unfortunate circumstances surrounding Wanda Franco right now, right? 22 years old, signed an 11 year, $182 million deal. Uh, and, you know, as the investigation plays out, what are, what are we going to find out? What are we going to do? Is he going to play in major league baseball again? Like those are the things that, you know, that you just don't know and, and things and some are, you know, own decision-based, uh, you know, harm, and and some aren't. Some are just, hey, my body gave out. My arm can only do this for so long, and uh, unfortunately, this is where I'm at at this point. So uh, you're right. Now, you never know how long something is going to last, and and you always got to have, uh, you know, that that plan B or that secondary plan in your mind of what if this finishes earlier than I think, what am I going to do and how am I going to achieve the best I can in my life? And Mr. Franco is a clear example. When you and I've talked about this many times when you're especially a young player, rookie coming up in this day and age, you know, with social media, with the attention you get, and especially depending on what country you're from, if you get a lot of attention, people know who you are, they know you're making money. You've got to learn whether you're going to make good decisions or bad decisions, who you're going to associate with, what you're going to do. And every decision has a ramification at the end of the day, you know, as far as who you're talking to, whether you're going to go to the bar, are you going to drive yourself? Are you going to have that one more drink? Are you going to leave? Are you going to drop your keys? Every single decision has a ramification. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate when people make bad decisions and a lot of societies not have very much sympathy for them because they tell them you made your own bed, you lied in it, you know? And and that's true, and that's for and that's the journey for a lot of us. We have to understand every single decision we make has a ramification at the end of the day. And in in this case with Wander, you know, um, there's a team busting their butts, you know, absolutely busting their butts. Their whole pitching staff, almost pretty much starting rotation, is on the injured reserve list, and they're still grinding it out. And then somebody gets taken away like that, you know, and, you know, we think about what happened with the Tees and Bauer, etc. There's one thing about their lives and their income and their family, et cetera, but it's all those other guys, all those other 24 guys that are sitting there. They got to look around and say, you know, we're really working hard here. What are you doing about it? And you're right, Dick, you know, depending on how that investigation goes, he may not play again. And there was so much future ahead, but one decision can just change it all. And that transitions over to Shohei because uh, that was the main topic for today. And I I've been absolutely like beside myself after the news because you know you, you start off this year so bright with the wbc and him you know the final pitch and striking out trout and all the folklore we've been talking all year about this contract is going to hit one billion dollars where's it going to get you know and you and i've had this discussion many many times about betting on yourself going through and seeing where it's going to go a la carlos rodon and then there are people that, you know, it doesn't work out well. And now I don't know what to say anymore about Otani because I don't know where this thing's going to go, Steve. Like, uh, first and foremost, it's it sounds like Tommy John is probably on the horizon for him. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, you just have to be realistic. I know as fans, we kind of can lose sight of uh, what the bigger picture is here. Um, and that's why, you know, people in the game have their opinions on the two-way player and what they're capable of doing and how tough it is on the body and uh, things like that. So, um, you know, yeah, I mean, he's. it looks like he's going to be going in for a second Tommy John. He already had his first Tommy John, right? So... When he was they joined the Angels age. initially, right? Yes. Yes, at a younger age. So now you're looking at uh, a player that's going to go through his second Tommy John, going into his 29. I believe he's going to be 29 years old when he signs this free agent contract. So, um, you know, this young man, he's not going to pitch again until he's 31 years old on a major league mound. And then, you know, how effective is he going to be? And these are all questions that teams need to ask themselves when they're about to offer a contract to who he is like and what they believe he's going to be in the future. Like we all know he's a great hitter, right? I mean, uh, at the very least, after he has Tommy John, he's going to come back and he's still going to be who he is as uh, uh, a professional hitter. And uh, you know, in the, in the class of like what Aaron judge does. Right. I mean, that's kind of who he is, but what are you going to get? Is he a DH? Is he going to pitch to, uh, the level that he's capable of pitching or that he wants to pitch to prior to this second Tommy John. Is he even going to come back? These are questions that we have to ask. They're not just ones that we think this guy's a, you know, a unicorn. He's a super athlete and he's just going to go in and have Tommy John and everything's going to be, you know, hunky dory when he comes out and he's going to have the hundred mile an hour fastball with the split and the slider. Those are variables that are just unknown. Uh, you know, and guys have done it. Guys have come back, you know, but are you going to give a guy a 10-year contract uh, for that type of money when the one side that you were going to pay him a lot of money on, which was the starting pitching side, is now become a variable for the 10 years that, uh, you know, he's going into this? And I was looking at this morning at the list of the two-time Tommy John guys and, uh, it's a who's who of what should have been, you know, the Darren Dreifertz of this world, Edison Volquez. I mean, Yovaldi, you know, has definitely been a, a unicorn in that sense. But it's also like, how long can he sustain that for? Uh, DeGrom is going in for a second. Uh, for a lot of guys, once they came from the second Tommy John, they were never what they were as rookies at the end of the day, if they even made it back, period. And and the, the length of time that they all pitched was not very long either. And... Uh, it's got to be so frustrating for Otani, clearly. I mean, he's put in all this work, and he's had such a magical season. And it's, I didn't want to hear that. I told you so. This was going to happen for sure. You know, like, I, we all kind of in the back of our heads knew, like, not sustainable to do this forever. And if he did, maybe it'll be in five years from now. But it goes to show you again, he's, you know, I, he looks like a world-class athlete. I'm sure he eats like a champ, trains like a champ. Like, he looks like a disciplined guy. And still, and he has like a, a nice, nice movement to his delivery. And still, you never, ever know. It's the amount of stress it's putting on his body. And he's still talking about that. He's still going to come back and hit this year. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously uh, I have my thoughts on that and my reasoning. Obviously he's the front runner for the uh, MVP right now. So if he completely shuts it down and has the surgery, say tomorrow, uh, he'll lose the last six weeks and, who knows what comes out of that. But if he continues to hit at the pace that he's hitting and, you know, continues to put up the numbers that he's doing as a DH, 
he's already got the pitching portion already in my mind solidified, even though he's not going to pitch and make the next six to eight starts. Uh, but now, you know, he goes into the hitting portion of it. And if he can continue to sustain how he's been hitting all year, which there's no reason why we would not think that he's going to do and continue to be the same player unless that elbow affects him on his swing, which could happen. Um, you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't know uh, what, uh, you know, what that extension might be with his with his right arm when he's finishing left-handed. So uh, does that affect him in, in the hitting portion of it? But, uh, you know, you can see the type of guy he is, the type of teammate he is, the competitor he is, that he wants to go out there and, and do the best he can to help his team win. Uh, and, and sometimes that can be a detriment to who we are uh, if we're injured and we might not be at 100 uh, percent, depending what the situation is. If they're still in if they were still in this for the playoffs and they're trying to make a run at the playoffs, hey, you know, maybe a different story. But if they're really out of it, how does this benefit, you know, whether it's him or the team? And actually, I think this gives an Angels a better chance to sign him uh, that, uh, that this happened. I mean, I I don't get it personally, Steve. I don't get. I mean, Trout is out again. He might be done for the year. They ain't making the playoffs. This is not gonna happen. Like, they'd have to have an eight hundred record, and I still don't know if they're gonna make the playoffs at this point. I think it's so much risk for so little reward. I mean, yeah, it's nice to have the prestige of the MVP and the numbers, but just one bad swing or one bad whatever, and you risk that elbow and maybe cause for the damage to me. You know. People are trying to speculate, oh, maybe there's, you know, there's always that chance that, you know, he doesn't have that TJ and, you know, he's going to self-heal himself. No, he's he's not an octopus. It's not going to happen, I don't think. And, you know, if he did, and I think it's just like the inevitable based on the severity and the way they're calling as far as his injury right now. So it's as severe as, as I'm hearing it is. I, I think you go have the surgery, you go rest and look at Harper. I mean, Harper came back after TJ very quick, right? And was a DH. And that's, I think we're going to see Otani. I think Otani can have a similar Harper type, but not even close about pitching next year for sure. And then what are you going to do for a contract wise? I think you do a one or two year deal with the angels, a nice pillow contract, so to speak, where during the time he's off, he's still getting paid a nice amount, generous amount. When he's back, he's getting a wad of cash. And rebuilding himself for that big contract. But you know what, Steve? In, in this day and age, knowing who he is and everything else, some teammates that still say, you know what? We'll take our chances with him. You know, uh, any, chance he'll, any chance he'll pitch and what he is, maybe he'll even be a closer. Regardless, we're getting an MVP hitter. That's $400 million for me. So it's, it's very possible. I mean, you never know what's going through owners or GM's mind. The GMs really aren't going to make a $400 million decision. It's going to have to go through the owner and, what the owner wants and uh, you know, what his, his thought process is on that. But, you know, um, at the end of the day, he's not pitching in 2024. You just throw that right out the window. Uh, he's not pitching in 2024. If he has Tommy John tomorrow or if he has it in November, and then you just don't know what you're going to get in 2025. Uh, in my opinion, with when he comes back, um, you know, there's a difference in rehabbing and pitching in, rehab games and then stepping on a big league mound and facing big league hitters once every fifth, fifth day. Uh, there, there's just a, a, a different intensity level to being able to do that. And, uh, you know, that's why it's one so hard to get to the big leagues two really hard to stay in the big leagues and three, something obviously I've never done, but put, play on both sides of the ball on a daily basis. Uh, I mean, it's, it's insane. Carlos Rodon has the season that he's having right now. 
and he was a free agent at the end of this year versus last year. What's that contract going to look like, Steve? It's not 162. It's probably more in the $80 million range, half of that. Um, you know, uh, maybe $100 million for five years. It's 20 AAV maybe instead of, you know, what he's, what he's making. Um, but, you know, it just piles on to, you know, the injury plague seasons that he's had in the past. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, uh, an enigma uh, of what you're going to get from year to year because his body breaks down. And obviously, going back to Otani, you can kind of see how his body was starting to break down the way the Angels were riding him. He, you know, over the last month or so, the cramping that he's had, the, the pain in his fingers, the cramping in his fingers and his hands, uh, you know, obviously the cramping in his side he had after he pitched that one hitter in Detroit and came out and played game two uh, after pitching in 95 degree heat. Um, you know, these, these are things. And then he had to, you know, then the Angels had to, conform and give him 13 days off between starts uh you know as they got into august so uh, you know you can just kind of see how rigorous and how tough a major league baseball season is over 162 games uh for for somebody to be able to sustain something like that it's it's you know it's insane like i said and really hard to do and uh you know for him doing it for the past couple two three years uh but again how is that going to play out? Like you're not going to be able to sustain that over the next 10 years or next eight years if you're Shohei. And again, that's just my opinion, but it's, it's one of those things where uh, I do know how hard and rigorous uh, a major league baseball season is and what it takes to get through it. Uh, no matter how good of an athlete you are. My money is that he is back with the angels. I think that they showed a lot of faith in him. They didn't trade him. They tried to, you know, surround him with more talent and uh, I think that uh, from a fit perspective, I think right now it's best for both parties if he stays put and rehabs with them and continues on with them. But we'll see, you know, wackier things have happened in the world of baseball. So another twisted story, but one that we certainly did not see coming, we're not hoping for, and just it's a real downer on the greatest player in the game right now and maybe ever because, uh, I, you know, it, it was funny because I had just done a taping uh, on uh, the Chosen Life podcast and I was mentioning before we knew about this injury, you know, you got uh, Mike Judge, uh, sorry, Aaron Judge, Mike Trout, and Bryce Harper walk into a bar, you know, and all the attention they get and everything else. Otani walks in, he's in another stratosphere. You know, these are three of the greatest, and he is just at that level. So, you know, it's uh, it's a shame, and 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 it may very well lead that we'll never see another two-way player like this, just because, like you said, it's too difficult, it's too taxing on the body, and he's going to be the case example, likely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I could agree 100% with that. I mean, now, uh, you know, just saying instead of being uh, who he was, who he is now is a really, you know, upper echelon hitter, DH. I don't know, uh, you know, how much he could play the field uh, coming back from this thing if, if he ended up just Trans transition into a position player and how much he would play right field. Um, you know, uh, that's to be determined and, and we'll just see how this plays out. But uh, it's a very unfortunate thing that uh, has transpired um, and, and we all feel bad uh, in a way for, for Shohei because uh, he is such a, a great talent and a great athlete in the game of baseball. 
Another thing I'll say to sum it up today is don't write this man off because he ain't done yet. If there's anybody's going to work hard, it's going to be him. And one day, Steve, when we're sitting and watching his uh, Cooperstown induction ceremony, it'll be interesting to see where that career went, where the journey went, because we can speculate all we want now. There's still possibly a lot of life, and he still might have another 10 years in him. So stay tuned. Yeah, well, we'll see. Absolutely. We'll be back next week, folks, on The Chosen Journey. We're going to get into the 2023 MLB playoff picture because I think I need my glasses because it's fuzzy as heck. And maybe Steve Carsey will be able to give us some uh, light at the end of the tunnel. Stay tuned. All right. See you soon.